This is the Agile Thoughts Podcast, and I'm Lance Kind. So I'm Kevin Callahan. I help organizations and leaders stay relevant in the age of uh, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, which is, I believe, where we find ourselves. And I do that a variety of different ways. They all start with people and helping people understand where they are and where they're going and help leaders become more effective uh, with that. And sometimes there's some agile coaching, sometimes there's organizational development. This is the Designer and Agile series with Kevin Callahan. So everything you said makes sense to me from an agile perspective is that designers should work together with the team rather than work independent of the team and their uh, clients. So why don't designers do that? Well, I think that one of the dynamics that I've observed is that there isn't necessarily enough design work in a single team for a single designer to have a full load, so to speak. And design tends, at least in the kind of design we're talking about, so user interface design and and kind of front-end design, that tends to be a pretty specialized skill set and one that tends to be, I think, difficult for really technically-minded folks to flex into. So you end up with a designer kind of shared amongst multiple teams. Mm. And I think they, they often either get spread too thin or they, you know, like they have a sense that everyone has a team except me. And that kind of reinforces that, that barrier between them and the team. And they don't, you know, like on a scrum team, they don't know where do I belong? How do I fit in? And even getting them to come to the standups and be available, it's still, requires um, active effort from both them and the team to kind of create that relationship and maintain that relationship. And again, relationship, that's not a, that's not a big word in uh, most corporate environments that I've been in. So I think what I'm hearing is that artifacts are nice because they allow the designer to not be involved with the team as closely as maybe they should. And I like what you said about the psychology of, I don't, I'm not really a part of the team because I have like maybe four teams that I support right. with design work. And so I'm a shared uh, SME. Huh. Okay. Let me think about that. So what does that mean? If you're not part, well, okay, I can see a couple impacts. It's number one, one team wants you to come to do to, to a meeting and, and the, the other team wants to do the same thing as well. And now you have a bit of a problem because you're not committed to either team uh, as a team member. So that's one problem. Number two, you could end up being overworked at some points and then your reaction usually is to try to get done as much as possible without high cost of coordination with other people in order to at least hand somebody an artifact. So that might be another thing there as well. Yeah, you know, and again, from that perspective, if the value stream were visualized and being measured, there would be a a trade-off between high capacity utilization of a scarce person or scarce shared expertise like design. So say you have four teams and then those four teams are are keeping that person, you know, 90%, 95% utilized. What we know is the moment there's the slightest amount of variation in that workflow anywhere, the ability of that person to deliver is going to collapse. 
and a bunch of work is just going to start sitting around waiting. So we would say, you know, I would say from a flow perspective, if that's the model, make sure that that person does not become a constraint. And the way the, the, the easiest way to do that is, uh, at least as I understand it, is to help them manage capacity to keep it at below 70%. So they have lots of slack time so, yeah. so that they can respond, right? Nice. And most, again, most corporate environments are like, nope, we don't, we don't tolerate that. Like, you know, we, we count the cost of software development by the hours that people work. That's how we pay them. And so we don't tolerate idle hours. Wow. Okay. And then in the case of our shared previous client, the designers were, they were outsourced to a vendor and, or they were vendors themselves. (laughs) And so (laughs) those guys at that point have a conflict of interest. Number one, they they probably want, (laughs) I I assume they want a smooth flow of income. And so they'd rather have uh, a process that's regimented and predictable rather than maybe a process that could net perhaps better results or, or could, will get better results, but will be uh, bursty. (laughs) Right. It could be. And, and, you know, the the whole idea of how do, how do you contract, you know, agile contracting, right? Which is, I, I are re-articulate is how do we reasonably share risk so that it's not being loaded onto either party and how do we compensate fairly so that, you know, everybody feels like this is a good thing to do together. That's a, that's a big question. Probably. (laughs) way outside the scope of this chat. But yeah, I, I, again, it's, it's, those are the things that they're really important because they're the underlying dynamics that are going to ha- really shape the performance of, of the organization and the effectiveness of the, the product or the, the effort. Okay. If people can't communicate, if people don't have good relationship, if there isn't solid shared understanding, if there's throwing things over the wall likely impact of that is putting things in front of customers that they they don't want. And I don't think that's why we're doing this. Got it. So let's bottom line this. So what's the ideal designer? Well, how are they working with these teams? So I think the ideal designer, um, it's funny, I was was thinking about this, you know, since since we scheduled the call and it's gotten closer and closer, I I thought more and more about it. I think that that uh, ideally, and as I again, this is just how I understand it right now. It could be could evolve. A designer brings to the team a perspective that is rooted deeply in a subjective experience of whoever's going to use this thing, right? And they can articulate that, and they can stand for that, and the team is welcoming of that perspective. And then fills the, you know, so maybe that's more of a, if you're an integral thinker, um, that's left side, like I and we, sort of the, the emotional, mental, subjective experience. And then the software implementation and the systems implementation is more right side or, or external. Mm. And so those two things balance each other. And there's a natural tension that if we can harness that tension in a productive way, you get a, a really cool you know, the word so overused, but synergy of you end up with something that's far superior to anything that you could get sequentially, right? With a handoff between that side. And, and again, I think it's, 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 it's conversational. And as the conversation evolves, the, the design emerges, 
and it's had input from kind of that, that deeper emotional, mental customer perspective and the, the very pragmatic implementation perspective. And so the thing that comes out is, is good. <laughs> something that people want, it's something that, that the organization can afford, that they can maintain, that they can scale, um, they can iterate against and improve. You know, it's just kind of a, a win-win. That's, that's what, when it, when it goes well, and, and again, I've seen that happen. It's, it's most organizations don't have the internal capabilities. They, they need some external facilitation or agile coaching from somebody that, that can really guide a, a group through that process. But I've seen it work because I've been involved with it. Uh, so what I got in the Google Doc is, uh, so the ideal designer is somebody who may have to work with multiple teams, but in, in, if they do, they have uh, enough slack to uh, respond to teams' questions so that they're there to be able to work with multiple teams. They deliver insight and not artifacts, so meaning... It's more when you focus on the value of insight instead of the artifact, that probably indicates that you should have a, a great conversation with a group of people rather than try to spend a lot of time on, on writing something down and uh, handing off a document. Empathy for the end user, so the result is something that people care to use. And then prototypes are low cost so that you can throw them away at any moment. Nobody really you know worries about trying to defend the prototype. Yeah, and make a couple of slight tweaks here. <laughs> the the seventy percent uh, is utilization, and we're leaving a thirty percent slack time. Right. Yeah. And again, like what they, they they could choose to to pull more work in that. You know, they could they could choose. They they just have choice around how they utilize that slack time. And you know, I, I'm I would certainly not advocate that we don't use artifacts, design artifacts at all. I just would say that the design artifact is meaningless without. A shared understanding that created it yeah and right and so we should not rely on the artifacts to convey meaning and nuance about what's what's important to the customer and that as we prototype things again the the, the reason we're prototyping is not to build prototypes the reason we're prototyping is to learn and to discover and to gain knowledge often most frequently probably about what doesn't work or what's not the correct design. And that, you know, again, my, my architect example, he had, I don't know how many discarded ideas before he started kind of zeroing in on something that was going to work, but, but it was a lot, <laughs> you know, maybe you know, 20, 30 sketches that, that just got crumpled up and thrown in the recycle bin for the one, you know, that's, that's a, I don't know, one to 30, <laughs> yeah. oh, wow. you know, I, you know, you don't want to be paying very much for those things. Right. 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 So prototypes, low cost and, and iterated. Uh, uh, that's actually another key point I should write to prototypes are low cost and developed iteratively with the group. <laughs> and, and, and based on empirical feedback. Yeah. Right. That's the thing that's guiding your iteration. It's not just like, oh, just make another one. Like if you just make another one without any grounding in what was good about it, you know, and then that gets into your metrics and how are you measuring the impact 
and are those sound, which is probably again another whole conversation, but it's but it's pretty critical. Otherwise, you just design in a vacuum. Yeah, I, I think you're trying to uh, describe something. I'm not quite sure I'm getting it. There's something in your experience. You're saying basically that this can go wrong if if people are guessing. I suppose is what you're saying. So, so the question is then, how do we prove that this is a bad idea versus a good idea? Is that is that where you're headed? Yeah, you know, guessing is um, guessing is a is a type of a probe, right? That you're guessing based on certain assumptions, and maybe you've made those assumptions explicit or not. I th- it's valuable to do so if you can, and then validate them or invalidate them. And that's a very disciplined, rigorous process, which is you know kind of like, wait, I thought you said design is empathic. Well, they're both. <laughs> it's an and, not an or. <laughs> One of the re- yeah. So finding people who are deeply empathic uh, and also deeply disciplined and rigorous. And also highly collaborative and facilitative. Uh, well, now you're starting. It sounds like a little bit of a unicorn. Well, maybe that's why there's so much crappy design out there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Cool. Yeah, I get the I get the picture now. So because design has a lot about aesthetics, has a lot about uh, look and feel. It's easy for a lot of people to have divergent opinions on that. And uh, in in order to wade through the divergent opinions and converge on a, on on the best that we can create, we need some feedback. And that would be. If you can come up with a cheap experiment to get feedback on your whatever your decisions are, that would be really great. Otherwise, you end up having the the sort of the uh, I don't know argument of session where where everybody has their opinion and nobody we don't move forward. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, opinion driven design is is dangerous as is self referential design, right? Where we just kind of look you know narcissistically look in the mirror and don't remember that it's not for us that we're building this thing. Or if you have to use like your job title, like I am the designer, so therefore I, I, what I say is right. Or I am the highest paid man in the room or highest paid woman in the room. Therefore, right. what I say must, it has to be my way. Yeah, the hippo, right? Yeah, dangerous, dangerous ways to make um, business decisions. So I'm Kevin Callahan. I help organizations and leaders stay relevant in the age of uh, volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity, which is, I believe, where we find ourselves. And I do that a variety of different ways. They all start with people and helping people understand where they are and where they're going and help leaders become more effective with that. And sometimes there's some agile coaching, sometimes there's organizational development work. Um, If you want to find more, I'd love to hear from you, by the way. You can find me on LinkedIn, Kevin Callahan, M-S-P-O-D which is a Master's of Science in Positive Organizational Development. Or you can uh, find me on the, the great World Wide Web at interactionagility.com, which is my company's website. Cool. How do they spell Callahan? C-A-L-L-A-H-A-N. Agile Grande teaches you systems thinking through dramatic storytelling, such as Carter takes a job to improve a logistics company's adaptability, but efforts to scale agile practices are being blocked by Mr. Chernesky, a vice president who's organized the company into siloed pigeonholes in order to secretly make millions with a dark web shipping service. Carter's life is in danger. He goes underground 
and a spy agency hunts for him. When Carter uses systems thinking, systems modeling, and organizational change to save his company and his life, you get to learn how to apply that to your organization as well. Get your free copy of Agile Grande at leanpub.com. This is the last episode of Designers and Agile with Kevin Callahan. The first episode was episode 128. Go to your favorite search engine and type in Agile Thoughts, Designers and Agile, Callahan, C-A-L-L-A-H-A-N. If you're listening to the show on a podcast player, there's some great show notes, so you can tap, tap, tap over there and read the cliff notes of what we will be discussing in this series. And if you're not using a podcast player, just go back to the website where you downloaded this podcast and you'll see them right there. 